Good morning. This is an Our Own Defense podcast with your host, Attorney A.D. Winters, founder and managing attorney of VeteransDefender.com and Dr. Dolores Tarver. Good to see you, Dr. Tarver. How are you? I am a great, Attorney Winters. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, you know, we, we've started this in our own defense podcast in um, 2020 uh, during the pandemic, and it was a great opportunity for us to express our voice, to bring on experts, to talk about things as related to all Americans, but specifically with African-American community. Um, one of the impetus for us launching this show was we were tired of seeing African-American women and men being murdered at the hands of law enforcement, uh, at the hands of the state, at the hands of law enforcement, while they were in law enforcement custody. Uh, this has been heartbreaking to watch over these years. And we have tried to lend a voice and brought on talented jurors, judges, um, military people, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. We brought people on to help us understand this deeper versus to just state the problem. We wanted to be a voice. Um, one of the, the guiding lights, there were many guiding lights just launching. And, you know, in the medical field, yourself, of course, your, your amazing talent. Um, but Ben Crump, an attorney, uh, Car Judge Carlos Moore, uh, we've had him on the show. Um, Diedrich Moore, and a really good uh, friend of mine, happens to be a fraternity brother, happens to be a Xavierite. Uh, attorney Ron Haley uh, was one of the people that inspired us to help start this show, to speak these truths. He's an attorney that, that works with, um, with families who have had this, this horrible thing happen to them at the hand of the police. So um, one of the things that I wanted to know from your perspective, have you been keeping up with the Ronald Grace? Have you, you had a chance to read up on any of that? Yeah, so it is all over social media. Uh, of course, there have been a lot of conversations about this particular case because of the circumstances of it uh, in, in terms of, and from my aspect, the grief aspects of it, um, learning about that, that your son has been killed, but then only to, to find out that how you were told he was killed wasn't accurate. Uh, and, and as we talk about just grief and how we have been affected collectively by trauma, here's yet another example of how people have uh, now are mis more mistrustful of law enforcement and also how it affects the grieving cycle when you find out that you, you were not told the truth about the circumstances surrounding your son's death. So just a lot of pain that I think people are dealing with and, and hurt and fear about, hey, what, what is actually going to be covered up if something happens to me? And I know we're going to get into that more later, but those are some of the definite things that I'm seeing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tarver. I, I, um, I'm appalled at it uh, from what I, I had the chance to do my research, whether it was reading the NBC News, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, um, and, and all of that. And it's just, do you know how brazen you have to be as a government agent to tell the citizens of this country a falsity and then expect the press not to be able to get it. They're gonna get it at some point through, uh, through the very, that's why we have a freedom of the press to be able to get this news and information out. Well, today we have the luxury of bringing one of the lead counsels, uh, one of the lawyers that are, is involved with this case who has been preaching and uttering this truth 
to me and anybody who would listen. And, and I was so dumbfounded because I just trusted the state police so much. I always thought that was the highest form of law, law enforcement, the Louisiana State Police. And I'm, my mind is blown how starkly different from what their original statement was to this family to what the video that has been released has shown. So without further ado, I want to bring on an amazing person. I want to introduce him, uh, Mr. Ron Haley. He's the founder and attorney of the Haley and Associates Law Firm. Um, he's a Xavier University uh, graduate and an LSU Law School graduate. Um, he's an exceptional attorney, and he has always been doing this work. Uh, my best friend and my son's godfather, uh, attorney Diedrich Moore, uh, and him work on a ton of these big cases. Uh, but they really, really, really do great work. I call them the superheroes of justice. Uh, they're like Batman and Robin when they get together. But without further ado, I want to bring on attorney Ron Haley. Help me welcome him to the show. Oh, I don't, <laughs> oh, I don't need an applause. Hey, good morning, doctor. Good morning, Mr. Winters. Thank you all for having me this morning, uh, especially in today's time, climate, and what's going on in the state of Louisiana. And this country. I think this is a topic worth having. And thank you all for uh, giving me the honor to be on the show with you guys today. No, thank you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll kick the questions off, Brian. Um, can you tell us a little bit um, more about Mr. Green? I know he was a 49-year-old Black man who's from, lived in the Monroe, uh, Louisiana area. I believe he was a barber. Um, he was married. Uh, he had he had battled cancer and I think cancer was uh, his remission was happening, but he had fought bravely with cancer uh, for a couple of years. He had met it. He was on the way to meet his wife in Florida when all of this this happened uh, back in 2018. Can you tell us a little bit more about Mr. Green? Ronnie, from what we learned, was a fun loving guy who loved everyone. Uh, there wasn't an enemy that he met except for the night of May 10th, 2019. Uh, comes from a wonderful family of brothers and sisters. Um, he was loved. And the, the love and the outpouring that his family has shown in grace during this period, I think, is only reflective of the type of man that, that he was and that his memory will not be left in vain. Yes, I, and I, I applaud that effort. I applaud his mother was on CNN uh, today. And just to look at the depths of that hurt, uh, I want, when, when, when we get to Dr. Tarver, I wanted to be able to talk about that and discuss, you know, all of that pain that these families uh, are going through as they bereave this cover uh, from, from your perspective, as an attorney that does this type of work, why is is this really shocking to you? Do you find it just like, are you blown away that they held this? They knew this was false. You kept saying this was false. You wanted this released a long time ago. You've been asking for this for two years, over from May to May, two years for this. Before the pandemic, you've asked for this. Were you shocked that it took this long? Number one. And number two, are you surprised by what you actually found out? No, I'm not shocked. This is the ball game. This is par for the course. 
this is what the Louisiana State Police does. And it goes beyond Ronnie. It goes from before Ronnie. You, if you read, take the time and read investigative reports for excessive force cases or wrongful death cases that involve other law enforcement agencies throughout the state. They read like propaganda. It is all about the victim and demonizing the victim about where he went, where, where he was going, what was in the system, what was in the system could have meant, how that could have added to um, aggravating the, the circumstances. They are given no benefit of, of any doubt. And this just isn't involved um, black clients. I have white clients that have been put in the, in the same position. And so this is par for the course for them to, uh, I've seen this in prior cases, not to the extent of this cover-up, but I've seen state police in very obvious situations write a report that somehow justifies a, a shoot. I give an example. A white client that I represent by the name of Ben Chambers was in the in sleep of his car. He was sleeping in his car. Um, he had an overdose of, of a narcotic, um, but he was asleep at a, at a local dentist's office in Baton Rouge. Um, the folks at the dentist's office could not wake him up. They called. 911 for a wellness check. One deputy responded. He shot the man in the face through his car window. He survived. Ben Chambers. And guess what? They justified that shoot. There wasn't a gun in the car. There wasn't anything in, in, in the car that, that were with to justify it. And he wasn't even arrested. I'm talking about Chambers. Chambers was not even arrested for anything. So how are you sleep? In a car, you have not committed a crime because you were not arrested for anything, and you end up shot in the face, and that shoot was deemed justified. That's just one example. I could go to Joseph Richardson, the case that you were standing bravely with us with Mr. Crump. This man was shot in the back of the head, unarmed, in his underwear after getting out of the shower in Port Allen, Louisiana, over a no-knock warrant at a rinky-dink motel. Uh, trying to make some big drug raid. And then we've seen the results of no-knock warrants and, and false drug raids in, in Kentucky. Shot in the back of the head, almost at point-blank range. That was deemed justified by the Louisiana State Police. No, the Louisiana State Police did not pull the trigger in those cases, but if that is how their IA investigations were going, am I surprised that um, they would somehow try to justify or minimize what happened to Mr. Green? Absolutely. Now, the cover-up is a whole different thing. Um, I'm actually more offended by the cover-up than the actions of the Louisiana State Police Troopers, uh, because we have seen this movie throughout this country of uh, from Rodney King up until this date, and trust me, Rodney King was not the start of this, um, but it was kind of the start of things being captured on video and shared with, with the world. We've seen brutality at, at, at its worst. Um, I've not heard of audio as bad as Ronnie's. I mean, it, it's harrowing what, what you hear on, on there. And the fact that he still remained in grace and humble as he was getting beaten, bloodied, abused, and, and murdered and, and begging for his life. But we've seen brutality. But the extent of this cover-up is something else. But what really, really just gets me in a certain way was how cavalier the cover-up was. I don't know about you, Mr. Winters. I don't know about you, 
Doc, um, if I had killed a man, I was, and it wasn't justified and I wasn't supposed to, I would be a little bit more nervous than these officers were. Hollingsworth gets on the phone, calls his buddy. Man, I beat the you-know-what out of somebody till he went limp. Right? It was just, okay, it is what it is. Another black man killed today. So it makes me wonder how many other black men have been killed up there that we don't know about. And, and that is, you know, that, that sums the story up about how tragic it is that we put the, the citizens of Louisiana, the 4.8 million people in the state of Louisiana have put their trust into the Louisiana uh, State Police. The, the, the couple of superintendents ago, he lost his job for some sort of corruption, with finance corruption, stealing some, some sort of something to deal with stealing. And, and, and it started to wear at the fabric of the trust for this big organization. You're supposed to be the best of the best in the state of Louisiana. And this, I mean, I am just appalled by it. Uh, but I am so glad that we have somebody like you on the case. You, Mr. Merritt, the whole legal team, uh, we're praying with you. Uh, but I want to let Dr. Tarver ask you uh, a couple of questions, then I'll, I'll come back. Uh, Dr. Tarver? Thank you, Attorney Williams. Attorney Haley, I just I, a few questions I have for you. One, I, I, I want to follow up with something that you just said. Um, you were talking about Mr. Green and, and describing the type of man he was. Often in these cases, we, we end up getting to character assassination of people uh, and, and essentially blaming them. And so one of the news reports uh, states that he initially fled from the police. And this is a common response we know when people are afraid. Um, but when he gets pulled over, according to the transcript, he says, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm scared. Officer, I'm scared. I'm your brother. I'm scared. And oftentimes we get stuck on the, well, you fled, so you had essentially what was coming to you. And we don't think about the reasons why people flee, why they are afraid. Uh, and you laid out several examples of times when People are not doing anything criminal, but yet they are uh, either murdered or, or attempted murder. And so can you talk a little bit about some of the factors that make us so fearful? Why are we so afraid when we see those flashing lights, when we hear that kick through the door with these no-knock warrants, as you mentioned before, why are we so scared when we see officers of the law? Because we've seen it happen in our, in our communities. And I'm not talking about just the big cases that make national, international news. If you go into these communities, you go talk in these lower income communities that the war on drugs have pillaged and profited off of. Uh, we're not talking about these big time kilogram dealers. We're talking about where, um, where, where they go essentially to bully, right? Um, everyone has a story. Everyone has a, a bad encounter uh, or knows someone that did or a search warrant that went in and they completely destroyed a, a grandmother's house because they thought uh, her grandson had visited there um, and he was under a quote unquote investigation or somebody that is, is just stopped and frisked and, and, and roughed up. And so I think everyone needs to un understand what goes into the conscience. Yes, the things that shock you, you know, um, the George Floyds, you think of now Ronald Green, you think of 
Breonna Taylor as like the big things that are out there. But it is all the cases that do not get put out there. It's in my criminal defense practice. When somebody's arrested and they said, man, they did this to me during the arrest. I've heard that so many times. It's those things that really play into mind. So you get pulled over, those lights come on, it's, it's getting close to dusk or dark. Um, it's not a well-lit area. You're not just thinking of, again, the, the, the George Floyds, the Alton Sterlings. Uh, what you're thinking about is your friend, your cousin, um, a, a family member, maybe yourself, that something has happened to. And you want to get into a place where things can be documented. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's it. I, I, people are just at trying, often trying to get to places where there's people to witness what's going on. Um, and then also that fight or flight that you talked about, like I, it, it elicits a fear response. I think we take a, a, a collective gasp of air when we see police cars, because we're, what does that mean? Where are they going? Are they, are they following me? Are they running my plates? And so you're absolutely right. And, and kind of keeping with that, uh, Attorney Haley, you mentioned Miss um, Harden, Mr. Green's mother, and I know she has done uh, a, a couple of interviews. Um, and, and, and she, you can hear the pain when she talks about that she uh, feels like there was an absolute plot to murder her son. But, you know, as we talk about grief, there, there is not actually a word in the human language to describe when a parent loses a child. If you lose a spouse, you're a widow. Um, if, if, if you lose a child, we don't, we don't have a word for that kind of anguish. But here in this particular story, um, Ms. Harden was given initial information that her son was killed in a car accident. And then she later learns that her son was actually killed at the hands of these officers. And as you said, it was covered up. Can you just talk a little bit about the grief that this family is experiencing and, and how that grief was complicated by the fact that they essentially were lied to about the events surrounding this family member's death, Mr. Green. I think anyone that has lost a family member can understand that there's gonna be a level of grief if, if you loved and care for that family member. And it is very evident that Ronnie Green was loved and cared by many family and friends, especially his mother and siblings. So just to learn, oh my God, at the age of 49, my, my son, my brother, uh, cancer survivor, died, is, is dead. You have that initial pit fall in, in your stomach. Then you learn why it was an accident. And the things that must be going through your head that, again, my, my, my son, my brother, who my father, husband, who survived this terrible disease only to get taken out by, by a car accident. My God, why, you know, why did it have to happen this way? And so in your mind, you know, you're driving up and, and I want everyone to picture this from a very, not a legal standpoint, not from a medical standpoint, from a very practical standpoint. You get word that your loved one died in a car accident and you're driving up to the scene to see him, to see the vehicle, what you think you're going to see. You go see the car. And it looks like it's been in the fender bender. What does that do to you in that moment? Not knowing anything else, you haven't even seen 
Ronnie. And what what does that do to you in in that moment? And then to finally get the chance to see him and to know what he looked like could not have come from that accident. And for everyone up there to just give them the, the runaround, the runaround, the merry-go-round, um, it, it turns grief into anger. It turns grief into action. And that's what this family did, led by Miss Mona. Attorney Winters, thank you so much, Attorney Ailey. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, I think you said it best, uh, Attorney. Is that Ron? You said that you know Mr. Green's family turned this, led by their their uh, matriarch, led uh, this into some action, some real action. But the cover up to me is so deep that we as citizens, we as just the American people who pay taxes and, and property taxes and pay for toll roads and pay for to have law enforcement we can demand uh, real accountability and, and and this accountability has to go all overrun i'm just shocked that like the autopsy alone you brought up the point about the the effect of the car right the thing speaks for itself in latin we have this thing called raise ipsa loquitur right so the thing speaks for itself the car accident would not have yielded that kind of damage but what shocks me is the the autopsy report they didn't even do an autopsy report because they didn't that autopsy that doctor medical examiner was not going to lie he was probably not going to lie so what what confused me is why wasn't there an autopsy done uh Mustaley? no there was an autopsy done but what the problem was was that they did not have a complete narrative from law enforcement so yeah. somebody would die in a car accident or somebody would die in police custody whether it be at the jail or on a scene or something you the body goes but then there's a write-up yeah the the paperwork so, was was this thin as tissue paper i i just i don't understand it i, I mean it's just that part was was enough to just say there's this cover up that you guys are trying to play is just not going to work because if you look at a car accident you're able to tell wow this much damage on a car now if it's soft tissue is one thing but lacerations and all of that you you know that these are these came from a different sort um so how what are some of the ways that we think that we can get and gain accountability uh from this, you know, there, there's the federal lawsuit that you guys have employed as a tool. Is the uh, is the federal government investigating this? Um, this at this point, the FBI and the DOJ are, are investigating this matter. I can speak okay. to that. And that is that is current, or has this always been ongoing? They were investigating, or now it, because it's breathing new light in it, they're now investigating it. They have at least had the case for approximately, I think, 17 to 18 months. Um, okay. I would suggest that uh, I know federal cases take a while to develop. I would imagine that the recent events of the last half week have probably um, made this more of a priority than it's been. Again, so, and, and I say that this isn't, this is not a, this is not a two-year investigation, right? And that's the thing that frustrates me. This is not a massive RICO racketeering case where you're trying to take down these large drug rings or 
uh, or syndicate crime organization where you need to pull this person in to get this person to talk and that person to do this and and this CI to do that. Like those investigations take that long. This is just straight up murder, right? Anybody that looked at that video from start to finish knows that something wrong was done. That's objective. That's not a subjective statement. You may, we could subjectively argue that whether he should have complied or not. But at the point that he surrendered, none of that other stuff should have happened. And the idea that something like this needs two years to investigate and to figure out what is, is, is done wrong, um, I, I'm tired of that. I'm, I'm tired of if it's John Q and Jane Q Citizen that does something, you're arrested right away. You could be arrested on, the, on somebody's word if a police officer believes them. If I call the police right now and, and say that Anthony Winters tried to uh, kill me, well, they may not come for me at this point. <laughs> but, but theoretically speaking, if they deemed it as a credible threat, they could come arrest you on my word, right? Here we have video. Here we have, I mean, the purpose of body cam footage, dash cam footage, is to take away what is impartial, right? Or take away something being partial. It, it is supposed to be so above board. It's supposed to give you the unfiltered, unadulterated truth. And that truth was suppressed. It was suppressed by the lie. It was suppressed at the scene when they were telling each other to turn their body cams off. The fact that Corey York's body cam was not on, let's get these names out there because this ain't gonna be just about Ronnie. Dakota DeMoss. Corey York, John Clary, Clifford Hollingsworth. Anybody that put their hands on Ronnie needs to be in jail, followed by everybody that participated in the cover-up. I got two follow-up questions. I know as we're coming to a, uh, to a close, but th these are burning questions to me. So as a Louisiana lawyer, there's only... A few people get to claim that they passed that Louisiana bar. So it's uh, we go through an aggressive background check in the state of Louisiana to become a Louisiana lawyer. That character and fitness, it goes deep, deep, deep into your life. One of the things that I'm I'm shocked at is there was a do you remember this story where there were two marshals and they were hunting down this fugitive, this felony fugitive. And they had, that, they had got the fugitive and they had told him to stop his car. They had him stopped. He was pinned down uh, where they had him in his vehicle. And then they had their, uh, they drew the weapons and had him to stop. And then he put his vehicle in reverse and started trying to back toward them and try to, to harm them. Well, they fired shots off. Unbeknownst to them, they had a child on the back seat. The, this, this fugitive had a child on the back seat and they killed the son. The, the, the baby on the back and the father didn't die but the child was, was killed these two uh, two law enforcement officers in Louisiana were both black the state police superintendent made a statement the next day condemning these two gentlemen's lives he, he made a statement the very next day no open investigation no let's the investigations pending and it's ongoing he made a statement to their detriment the very next day, and and the, the Louisiana uh, uh, Attorney General's office 
prosecuted those those two officers. Got one 40 some odd years, like 40 years. And their life was under apparent threat by somebody backing a car into them. That was resolved expediently. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I just can't help but think because the person that died in that case was white. I don't understand how it could take two years. That, that's my ultimate question is, is it takes two years um, when you don't it just doesn't take all that. Why hasn't the Louisiana uh, Department of Justice prosecuted? And, and I know that's a question that you just, you can't answer. But with this new uh, superintendent, uh, Colonel Lamar Davis, he's an African-American. Are you shocked that, that, that it's taken this long to get some sort of transparency, even after him? And he's been in office for over six months, right? Right. Um, no, he's been in office since, I think, February. Um, no, I'm not shocked. I mean, and it goes back to one of the first points I made. This is the playbook. There's a playbook that says, how do we get away with this stuff? And one of the main tenets of that playbook is delay, delay, delay. Now, delay is for a couple of reasons, right? First reason, in, in no particular order. Um, is if there is a public concern or sentiment about an issue, they should delay it for so long. Eventually, they'll forget about it. And it's not going to be that big of a deal on the public conscience. That is going to be 15,000 things that have happened since then. And when you come back to it, they'll say, oh, yeah, you remember that case from 2018, 2017? Oh, okay, yeah, that's sad. That, that's what happened to them. And there's no potential for public un un unrest or, um, or political pushback. <clears throat> the second thing is lawsuit-wise. You know that in the state of Louisiana, we have one of the most strict statute of limitations uh, that they don't take. There's not many things that will stop the tolling of statute of limitations. In the state of Louisiana, for a, a civil rights lawsuit against a, a police officer or police department, it is one-year statute of limitations, the same year as personal injury. Um, if you can prove an intentional act of the officer, uh, you still can't bring your civil rights action, but you can bring a respondent superior, basically vicarious liability, against that department. But think about this, this which doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense. From a, a legal economy standpoint, we don't want frivolous lawsuits clogging up the system. But if you have a case like a Ronald Green, all right? where the truth has been suppressed for so long, had they not found us and had we not believed them and, and filed lawsuit, let's say this comes out May, I think it came out May 20th of this year, 19th or 20th, they would not have been able to get any civil recourse against the state police or the state of Louisiana. And so that's part of the delay process is that it stops lawsuits from going forward because you're just not sure. Again, in the case of, of a cover-up, right, um, I'm not saying everything needs to come out, but the idea that you delay it for this long, it also hurts the process of any civil action. And for those say, oh, well, you're talking about the family getting money. It's not about that. What it's about is the truth, okay? Because if most of these cases are not going to be prosecuted, the only way for the families to get answers is for lawyers to get discovery, for lawyers to be able to take depositions, and for them to put these officers uh, under oath and, and to ask them 
questions and eventually get to a trial date just for them to get answers that should have been given to them earlier on. Um, so am I surprised? No, this is what they do. And let's be clear about this two-year thing. The clock is still running on two years. It was two, over two years before somebody leaked the information. It was only days after that before they released this information. Nobody's been arrested yet. There's been no grand jury convened. There's no indictment that's here. There's no, our lawsuit is in legal purgatory right now because we cannot do discovery based on the fact that this thing is still under quote unquote investigation. So the, the playbook is there. Page one, delay. Page two, delay. Page three, delay. And I could go on and on. Listen, Brother Winters, I, I, I give you one for the road. Joseph Richardson, the gentleman whose life you stood with me for in Port Island, Louisiana. Myself, Benjamin Crump, Dejic Moore, uh, activist after he was shot in the back of the head. Do you know when I received the report from the, from the state police indicating, or the attorney general that was based on a state police investigation? The Friday that the government shut down because of COVID, it was dropped on a news cycle then at that time. I got it at two o'clock on that Friday. Do you think that was an accident? Oh, no, absolutely not. I, I am so disappointed in an office. Truth and lending, I served as assistant attorney general for the state of Louisiana for roughly 12 years. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I know that office uh, and I don't speak for them. I, I don't, and you know, even offer that I speak for the office. I am, I am greatly disappointed. Uh, but I am, one thing that I know that I'm happy about um, is that I'm happy that you, particularly on this case. And I know that you will not relent uh, until you, um, Mr. Merritt, uh, Diedrich, Ms. Greenhouse, until you guys get justice for this family. Uh, Mr. Green deserves it. His family deserves it. His wife, his kids, his mother deserves real justice. And the people of Louisiana deserve accountability. Hilling can't go forward until we really hold these officers accountable and it becomes the new standard that these guys will live up to that, that great badge for that great state, uh, and they will not be able to do this kind of foolishness. Uh, psychologically, it, it's exhausting to see that they continue to get to have that position, that job, and harm uh, this many people. Uh, Dr. Tarver, do you have any, any, uh, any closing questions? Yeah, just a closing uh, self-care thought, Attorney Haley, just wanting to check on you and see how you are managing. You deal with a lot of these, like you said, uh, the script is all the same, but I know it's got to be exhausting. So just want to make sure that um, you are doing some things to take care of yourself. How do you manage uh, dealing with these very difficult cases and dealing with these families? And I know you're trying your very best to get justice for them. How do you take care of yourself in the process? I just think of them. Honestly, uh, it's all about them. And I, I feel that, you know, I have a small role to play in this, but it is a role. And I, I don't think this may not be the best medical answer, but I don't think of myself a, a lot in, in this. It, it is all about them and all about getting the, the result. And then when we do get results, um, 
I guess that's my mental health satisfaction that, you know, the, the sacrifices put forth was well worth it, but it's all about them. Maybe the right answer to say, but that's honestly my, my truth. Well, I think that one of the ways we take care of ourselves is that we live a life of meaning and purpose, which means that we use our gifts to serve others. And so in that way, you are taking care of yourself because you are doing what you have been called to do. And we very much appreciate that work. No, I appreciate it, Doc. And we thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Haley. Can you can you tell the people if they're experiencing this, uh, have some of these, these issues, how they can reach out to your law firm? You can go on our website, rhaleylawfirm.com. There's a link <clears throat> for, for contact information. Uh, you put your contact information there, the best mode of contact, contacting you back in the description of your issue, and it comes right to my email, and we'll get right on it. Good deal. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Attorney Haley, Attorney Ron Haley, uh, talking to us today on In Our Own Defense uh, with the uh, Ronald Green case. Uh, Dr. Tarver and I have, have had the luxury of having uh, you here. We are developing other shows. We're producing other shows. This was uh, May is uh, National Mental Health Month. So Dr. Tarver has been focusing feverishly on providing great content for Time with, uh, with T, Time with Tar uh, Tarver, Dr. Tarver, Tea Time with Dr. Tarver. It's a great show, great content. We're really excited about that. We're producing other shows from our own defense. Uh, so please stay tuned. Uh, this year we will be developing about 10 more new shows. We're really excited about it. Uh, but this show was, was burning for us to make sure we were able to get uh, um, Mr. Haley on here. So on behalf of Dr. Tarver uh, and myself and our guest, uh, Mr. Ron Haley, we thank you for joining us on In Our Own Defense podcast. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.